Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slesser, and on today's podcast, A's pitching coach Scott Emerson discusses the insane number of starting pitching injuries the team has had to deal with and the bullpenning approach that's led out of that. Then Baltimore manager Buck Showalter gives us his glowing impression of the A's and manager Bob Melvin. And finally, John Shea and I talk about the latest injuries, who might start a wildcard game, and much, much more. Next on A's Plus. Today on the A's Plus podcast, we welcome A's pitching coach Scott Emerson in his first full year with the team. Scott, you were one of our first guests, actually, when the podcast started. You told a joke for us so uh, during spring training, which was very helpful. I figured maybe this would be a good time <laughs> to get you on to talk about your real job and not just, uh, not just joke. Um, but your first full season as pitching coach, and All it's right. been an a really strange season for A's pitching. Obviously, the results have been fantastic. You've lost so many starters with injuries. You have maybe baseball's best bullpen. Uh, what has the experience been like for you so far this season? Uh, you, you know, I, I, I truly believe that the organization and Keith Lippman trained me to do this. Uh, you know, this is something I've wanted to do for a very long time. And, uh, you know, the adjustment period for me really wasn't much of adjustment. I always tried to tell myself if I didn't get there in the minor leagues, I was going to act like I was a major league pitching coach in the minor leagues, whether it be doing advanced scouting stuff or video work and handling people. So I think that adjustment um, was, uh, was easy for me. Now, the other adjustment is you're actually coming to the big leagues where some of these pitchers have had success before, and uh, you know you don't want to change them at, at, to a degree. So sometimes good coaching is limited coaching, and you got to learn how to you know attack or back off. And uh, I think the adjustment for me has been good. You know, when you're the minor league pitching coordinator, you handle 100 pitchers, and you know I know we've had some injuries this year, and it feels like we've handled 100 pitchers up here. But uh, I, I think it's been good for me, uh, and uh, you know I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, my second question was going to be what's it been like with all the injuries, but yeah, you're right. As a minor league pitching coordinator, you're you're dealing with probably this many pitchers, but it it has had to have had its challenges being the pitching coach this year with all the injuries and so many guys coming in and out. How how do you deal with that? Well, coming into the spring, you know, if you if you look back, uh, most of these guys have had DL stints last year as well, so it was. Uh, an adjusting period to how much of a workload can they have? How much time can you spend with each pitcher in the bullpen? How much work do you really want them to have and to be successful on the mound? So sometimes you had to back off from trying to help them just to get them through the games uh, moving forward. But the additions we've got have been you know, good additions and we've known their history as well. So it's just trying to milk out what we can out of everybody, trying to keep them you know, out of harm's way the best they can, knowing that they are dealing with some issues and uh, hopefully we could have get all of them through the season and, and that didn't work out. But uh, you know, with the guys that we got left, we just got to keep plugging along and, and doing what we can do to, to keep them healthy. Now, the rotation that was projected was obviously a very young one. You've now got a bunch of veteran guys. Um, you, you mentioned you try to sort of maybe just get out of the way a little bit when it's more veteran guys, but, but are there specific ways you sort of approach an older rotation versus maybe one that's a bunch of young guys who, who you already know from the system? 
Well, the, well, the good thing is, you know, when we acquired Cahill and Anderson, I had them in the past in Double A, so the relationship was always there. But, you know, what I was trying to do is uh, bring out the best of him, and maybe you know we're tinkering with what pitches we're throwing in what situations. You know, that has altered a little bit. Jackson's gone from more of a power pitcher to more of a cutter type guy, but knowing we still have that that power in our back pocket. If you look at Brett Anderson, he's developed a really good changeup, and uh, so we we tried to. To disguise his fastball by using his changeup a little bit more to get outs with his fastball and his breaking balls. And and Trevor still has his good stuff. It's about staying in the strike zone with his stuff and and you know taking his changeup to a whole another another level. So you know it's just you know I've, I've said this before. You know these guys are antiques and we're trying to make them back into treasures and and uh, just kind of looking at the analytics what they do well and get them to throw those pitches but also also what I call masking the pitch and not overdoing a certain pitch that's a good pitch but maybe using that as the element of surprise later in the count so just kind of a picks mix mix uh, difference with the veteran guys you know obviously they've got good arms obviously they've been around the big leagues doing something right but at, at certain times you've got to mix up what you can do uh, and alter your game a little bit and they've done a good job with it now, Mike Fires, since he's come here, has been magnificent, really. I mean, he's just been here just about a month now. Uh, the team has won all of his starts, all seven of them. And I know when he came in, uh, the team sort of had a different plan in mind for him and his pitch selection. What what kind of was the work like with him, and, and what, what do you like seeing from him when he's on the mound? Well, you know, Mike has the ability to go soft below the zone with a breaking ball and elevate his fastball. But, you know, what, what people probably haven't seen as much, what I've seen, is he actually has a pretty good two-seam fastball, and he's got a really good changeup. And every now and then he'll change arm angles to, to disrupt the, the hitter's uh, timing and use that a little bit more as deception. And as the older you get, the more kind of uh, wiffle ball game you're pitching. It's about getting outs. It's it, That's period what you have to do. You know, you see a lot of prospects come up and all they do is throw hard and they got to learn how to pitch. These guys know how to pitch and they just got to keep on pitching. But his ability to throw strikes, to throw something soft in a fastball count, uh, to throw, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, the kitchen sink at everybody and get the other team thinking, but have the ability to throw those four pitches for a strike has been really successful for him. Now, the bullpen is extraordinary. Uh, what is it like as a pitching coach working with relievers versus working with starters? How is that different? Well, with, with starters, you're looking at more balls in the strike zone, pitching to contact a little bit. And what I mean by that is like soft contact, disrupting the timing of the hitter to, to get them to get the ball in play, maybe grab a few strikeouts when you can. But when you're dealing with the relievers, it's more pitch to swing and miss, especially the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning when the game's on the line. You know, one contact pitch that goes over the fence, that could really affect the ball game. And we got a lot of guys that have plus fastballs, with uh, good pitch mix and good breaking balls, and Rodney's got that excellent changeup. That's a swing and miss changeup. So to, to have the ability to have guys with plus fastballs, meaning 95 to 100, and the ability to have a second wipeout pitch has been huge. And that's kind of what we lacked for a while. But you know, with these three guys and some other guys in the bullpen, it, it's fun to watch. Yeah, you've essentially got three, maybe even four closers if you, if you throw Trevino into that bunch. Um, Rodney and Familia, of course, both being new. What what uh, are, are what kind of do you make of both of them, Fernando Rodney and Yuri Familia? They're they're excellent guys. I mean, they're they're hard workers. Uh, they pay attention to detail. Uh, they know their game. 
um, and they're having fun, you know, and, and, you know, it's hard to, to tell them, you know, when they first get here, hey, you got the eighth, hey, you got the seventh, you know, I, I laugh and say, you know, Familia got the eighth because he got here first and Rodney gets the seventh <laughs> because he came after him. But all, all those, you know, those, those even uh, training who's, who's been in the eighth inning every now and then, they're all interchangeable parts. And it's always good to have four or five guys down that bullpen that you depend on at the end of the game. And uh, with Lou in the mix, and he, he's been wiping up some innings, and, and guys on base, he's been coming in a little bit more. And we're trying to keep them rested and healthy. Uh, 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 Trevino uh, threw last night and trained and didn't, and then we closed with Familia. That's because uh, the train, I call him the train, he went three straight days, and we were trying to give him two days off and you know after the game my phone's ringing what the heck's going on is he all right yeah and it, you know it's just sometimes you know you got to do some other things to win more games later on and, and that's the route we chose last night to give the train an extra day rest he's had such a magnificent season what, what to you has really been the key for Blake Trinan this year well I, I think that um, in years past uh, just watching him he's he tried to do too much you know this guy's got probably one of the best stuff in the major leagues, you know, and and to be able to throw that uh, two-seam fastball to your glove side and bring it back over to plate, that's not always uh, a great pitch for everybody. You know, Maddox perfected it, but uh, so his ability to cut a ball in there or throw a slider in there and use his four-seam in there and then go with a sinker to his arm side, I think, has been huge. And the ability to elevate some more fastballs this year to change eye levels to get guys off the sinker has been huge. But the ability to throw a second pitch when he wants to, uh, other than his fastball, it just makes him, for me, you know, just a very tough guy to face. Now, you and I have talked about this a lot this year with all these injuries. Uh, do you have any theories about why it's not just the A's? Obviously, I, I wrote a story the other day in which uh, talked about there are many organizations with many more pitching injuries than the A's have. And the Mets and Reds have had have lost 26 guys each to Tommy John surgeries over the last four years. And, and you guys are uh, like less than half of that. So do you have any sort of your own theories about why there are so many injuries with, a, with pitchers around the league? Well, one of the things is we're, we're getting guys uh, into professional baseball that are, for lack of a better term, damaged goods. And what I mean by that is they're playing four and five seasons in high school. You know, I got a nephew who lives in Phoenix. It's a hotbed for baseball. He'd be throwing, then he'd stop throwing, then he'd start throwing. And he would do this four and five times rather than just keep throwing. I kept telling him, just keep throwing. Oh, we got to go on vacation and all this stuff. And, and you look at these kids, and, and who doesn't want to compete in these national tournaments? And it seems like there's all these national tournaments, all these groups are, are throwing these tournaments around, and all these kids are playing year-round. Uh, you know, uh, ASMI, where Dr. Andrews is, uh, they recommend four months of no overhand throwing. That's not happening. Uh, I'd love to see kids play other sports yep. uh, other than baseball. That's not happening. So it's just a constant throw, throw, throw. You've got kids doing uh, heavy baseballs, but they're not doing the arm care with the heavy baseballs. Right. They're, they're, doing, they're, they're finding stuff on the Internet that's not right. Right. And they're going with it, or they're finding stuff on the internet that they think is good, but they're only doing half the program. They're not doing all the program. From the pitching side, you know, if, if you look back uh, 30 years ago, everybody threw on their arm side. Now you're seeing everybody throw on their glove side. Uh, the glove side, the guys may dive in, throw a little bit more across their body, and then they have to go back and throw a pitch back to their glove side. So that could be something. You've seen more weight training, you've seen more arm care, you've seen less running.
Uh, you've seen less maybe body movements. Uh, I'm talking sit-ups and push-ups and all that wow. stuff. And I'm not saying at all that those are contributors. I'm t saying that this is what we've done before and this is what we're doing now. Right. Is that contributing? I don't know. Yeah. But uh, And then you're seeing a lot of more sloppy deliveries. You know, people allowing people to come out here and just throw it as hard as they can all over the place. Just get it close to the strike zone. Pray that the hitter swings and then um, you're out for one inning. Then you get a lot of guys that come in and all they do is throw breaking balls at 90 miles an hour. So, I mean, there's, a, there's so much more to the, uh, what's been going on in the pitching world now than 30 years ago, Absolutely. but people are overlooking it and saying, no, we're the, you know, the science is, 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 um, is picking it. The science is better. Well, if the science is better, then why are more people getting hurt? Absolutely. You know, uh, Science used to tell me overhand throwing was a, a not a good thing. Now all of a sudden I hear there's biomechanics for overhand throwing. And I question, well, there's biomechanics for overhand throwing. I thought overhand throwing uh, wasn't natural anyways, but now you can tell me that it is natural. So what happens is uh, these guys go to these uh, biomechanic people and they tell them this is how you should be throwing yet it takes away their athleticism of what their body wants to do. And now they're changing it. So in my opinion, uh, we're taking the athleticism too much out of the pitcher. They're, they can't play a second base or shortstop in high school. They can only pitch. I think that we got to get back to let these guys be athletic and let them play more sports and uh, you know, get some rest on the arm. Absolutely. That, that sounds all very common sense. Now, because you guys have had so many injuries coming down the stretch, particularly when Manaya went out and then uh, Anderson, you've been doing this bullpenning thing and using Liam Hendricks as an opener. Uh, what has that been like for you, and what, what's your opinion on, on the whole bullpenning thing? Well, I think uh, from a statistical standpoint, if you're looking at you know pitchers going a third time through the batting order and that third time is not good for the pitcher, then why not do something earlier? You could do something uh, earlier and start a guy and have him only face 18 guys and then take him out of the game. Right. Or you could, you know, especially here in September when, the, when Major League Baseball allows us to call up so many people, you know, we can start somebody else Liam Hendricks in this case, and then uh, bring in a guy who's stretched out to throw more pitches. Whether we want to call them starters or not, we can call them stretched out guys now. You know, that term, something's going to happen in the next couple years where you're going to have openers and then stretched out guys, then middle guys and setup guys and closers. So, you know, like I said, statistically speaking, the third time through the order is not great for a, a starting pitcher, but for the elite starting pitcher, you know, that's why they're elite. Right. And if we had those type of elite guys right now where uh, we felt that they were elite, they're going to start and try to go as long as they can. And, and you know what I mean by that when, when we say elite. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're just trying to shorten the game for the, the long guy, if we want to call him that, and uh, get him maybe through uh, two times through the order. And hopefully that leads us to the sixth right into our, our happy zone with our bullpen. What have you thought of the job uh, that Liam has done in this? Because obviously it's a, it's a new thing for him as well as the guys who are coming in second who are more traditional starter types. Yeah, I think Liam's done a great job. You know, when, when, when Liam was a, a quote-unquote reliever and you're pitching the sixth and seventh inning and you're coming in games that are, are always under pressure, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, for lack of a better term, again, you need a soft landing. You, you need games where you feel like you can breathe a little bit. And sometimes starting the game, 
you know, you can breathe a little bit. Not that we want to give up a run early, but you can go out there that the pressure isn't on you immediately like it is seven, eight, nine, and uh, you know, it helps him. He's either going to face left or right-handed hitters. Uh, the lefties will open up the plate a little bit more for him. He'll feel a little freer and looser to let his fastball eat probably. So I think Liam's done a great job. Yeah, he's, his fastball's up like three or four miles an hour from when we saw him last, I believe. Yeah, he's done, a, he's done an amazing job of um, getting his body in shape uh, when he went to Nashville. He started uh, a, a good diet uh, before he uh, left to go to Nashville, and he's come back. He's trimmed up his body. He's leaner. He looks more flexible. Uh, you know, and sometimes when you get down in the minor leagues, it humbles you a little bit, and you're going to do everything you can to get back to the big leagues. You've been in the big leagues a long time, and you start taking it for granted. And I think he realized, hey, man, i got to get back there. And, and he's done a great job. Yeah, it's amazing for a guy who was, went from being DFA'd earlier in the season to now starting all these games in September for a, for a postseason hopeful team. Uh, how do you feel this team sets up now for a postseason run in terms of pitching? Well, you know, I, if you look at the pitching, the, the, the guys are getting, especially our bullpen, they're getting opportunities to pitch. They've been pitching a lot. So, uh, you know, if, if you look at what they've done in the second half, the starters, they've done a, an adequate job. I mean, it's it's not like we're the worst pitching staff in the league. You know, I, you know, I, I look around and it's like everybody beats on our start and pitching. And I'm like, dang, look at the numbers. I mean, it could be worse if we were some other teams. Absolutely. So, so You're I down two guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at one point in time after the All Star break, I saw uh, that we were like in a top three in earned run average and for the starters. I mean, it's just, it comes and goes. And, and right now what we want to do is have them start peaking. So if we, if we need them to go longer, they'll, they'll be able to go longer. Now, this is an analytics-based team organization. How do you, as a pitching coach, put analytics into practice? Is it mostly a matter of pitch selection or are there other things that go into it? Well, we, we like to game plan. You know, uh, Pike Goldschmidt, one of our guys in the office, uh, sends me some information and Marcus Jensen, the bullpen coach, and I, we put the game plans together off the information that we have. And, you know, sometimes analytically, some guys can't pitch that way. You know, they just can't throw a certain pitch to a certain side of the plate so it's it's Marcus and I's job to look at the analytics and to determine can this guy do this if he can't do that then we got to do something different but ultimately the best big league pitchers have the ability to uh, pitch to the hitter's weakness now with that being said we want them to pitch to their strengths also but one of their strengths should cover the major league hitter's weakness. So we're looking for the weakness of the hitter. We're seeing if that equals a strength to the pitcher, and then that's something we're definitely going with. And then there's another plan where, you know, the guy doesn't have it that night. We just got to go to a whole different uh, thing of what he has that night. And maybe, you know, my job in the dugout is to, to see what's going on. I go up in the video room during the game and see where his pitches are going, how his ball's moving. And if we got to make an in-game adjustment, we'll do that. Plan B, plan B. Yeah. Uh, how much of it, how important is it, uh, are the catchers in all of this with um, Josh and particularly Jonathan Lucor? What, what has he brought for this staff? Both of those guys have done an amazing job this year. I've been really impressed with Lucroy, the way he handles the pitching staff. And, and then Fegley's come a long way. I mean, I've been really impressed with him. And I told him the other day he's doing a great job of handling the pitchers, calling the game plan. Um, and uh, those two guys are very important because, you know, the, the pitcher's looking at them for the pitch. Now, I always tell the pitcher, hey, the catchers could have a bad day. you got to have the ability to shake them off. 
but that the whole pitch starts with that catcher calling that pitch and then putting into that mind of the pitcher yeah let's go with it or i don't want to go with it so if they're on the same page it's, it's been really good yeah they've, they've been very impressive um last question i'm going to put you on the spot a little bit um wild card game starter uh i, I know you probably love all your options how do you kind of feel about a one game playoff and and what you have to deal with and and who who might you go with well i, I think at this time that uh with all the preparation and hard work that I really want to name myself the starter for that game. Uh, you know, uh, that would be a fun story to write. Yeah, you know, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know. I knew you had to give a, give us a good joke before yeah, the end. Yeah, I don't. I, that's not a joke, Susan. I'm, I'm serious. I, I can get out there. No, uh, you know, I don't know. I think it's you know we got the confidence in a lot of guys that when it comes around, you know uh, how the rotation pans out. There's a lot of things that go into this. Uh, when did certain guys pitch? Do you have to manipulate the rotation? So it's kind of too early to tell. You know, uh, let's get to that wild card game first, and then we'll. Uh, I'm sure we'll all sit down and make a determination of what's best to give us the best chance of success. Sounds like, well. You've certainly got a lot to choose from. Scott Emerson, thanks so much for joining us on A's Plus. Thanks, Susan. Today on our occasional Oppo Talker segment, we are joined by Baltimore manager Buck Showalter. Buck, I know you and A's manager Bob Melvin have always had a great relationship. He played for you. Uh, you've seen the A's play four times this year. I'm wondering your impression of the work that Bob has done with the A's this season. Well, you know the expression, Susan, is uh, friends are people know all about you and still like you. You know, I think Bob and I know all about each other a little bit too much. Start out as a good player. People forget. I, mean, I played against Bob in Double A when he was an up-and-coming prospect Gosh. in Birmingham, and uh, I remember seeing this tall, slender guy with a big arm that could hit a little bit. And then I, I was fortunate enough to have him as a player and saved my bacon one night by hitting a home run off of Arthur Rhodes or somebody. It might have been Randy Johnson because um, our owner in New York was giving me a lot of grief about DHing him. I believe it was, but so I, I think I'm appropriately thanking him now. <laughs> But Bob, Bob's always one of those guys that's on top of things. He runs a great clubhouse. Uh, he's very honest and frank with the players. Uh, and um, he remembers a lot of time coaches and managers forget how hard the game was to play and how bad they were on a given night. And there's a fine line between empathy and sympathy. He's not a sympathetic ear to, to BS, but at the same time you understand the, the way 162-game season works. And, you know, it's, uh, there's, there's so many things that don't show up analytically, and that's why they need people like Bob around. And uh, you always get a feeling that he could take his and beat yours and then take yours and beat his. And uh, it's been fun to watch him develop. And the A's are maybe a little bit of a surprise this year in the American League, not to you? No, no, because they Bob understands, and I think Billy does too, how important the defense is and the pitching. And uh, it's the thing that we've really gotten away from is, is good defenders on the field. And especially in that ballpark where they play, you know, there's a lot of room to make defense matter. And uh, even the range of corner infielders, I, I, and they make people better. I know the first baseman, Olsen's really improved at first base. Simeon's come on and uh, done a nice job. So, and actually, Jed Lowry's become a better defender. So, uh, of course, Chapman's. As good as, you know, two or three years ago, I was asking somebody if somebody we could snake him away from before they figured out what they had, and they already had it figured out. So, you know, they just they catch the baseball and they make runs matter, and they got a big bullpen at the, at the end. And, uh, of course, with Bob there, they're going to be as good as they're capable of being. 
How do you think they might set up um, for a postseason, particularly since you obviously see the Yankees and Red Sox a lot? I would not want any part of playing them. You know, they're the little engine that could, supposedly. they got a great uh, mentality, and that plays in the postseason. I know it's happened with us some and something we're trying to get back. And uh, you like kind of taking on the Goliaths and the guys with the big payrolls you, because you have, uh, you know, you like to show the world that competitive fire comes out when you're in that, that role. And, uh, and also they're good. You, know, you don't play – there's no Cinderella's in baseball. You are what you are. And uh, you end up, uh, you know, they're going to win 90 to whatever games, and they're that good. It's been a disappointing year in Baltimore here. Obviously you've had injuries and other things to deal with. What to you is, has been sort of the, the main reason that this team is, has maybe not met expectations? Uh, you know, regardless of the division you play in, I mean, heck, it's tough in the West. It's tough in the Central. I've never, you know, I've never used that as an excuse. It's, uh, we just haven't been, we haven't played very well. And uh, we were I think, a couple of games out of the playoffs on August 2nd last year. And ever since then, there's a lot of things that you know we we've had a, we had a really good run here with some good people. I'm not going to get I'm not going to cast any uh, one aspersion on whether it's pitching or defense or hitting. You know you get to where we are. It's a, it's a combination of a lot of things, and you can't just earmark one and say that's the problem. It's just like after a game, everybody wants to know who the hero is, and after a bad game, they want to know who the goat is. And somewhere in between that, there's some really good things going on in a loss, and some really things you need to correct and a win same way with the season so I wish it was that simple I certainly have some personal ideas about it but it doesn't help anybody and you know at some point I'll be asking and we'll help how do you feel like you guys shape up for next year oh you know we need to just it's, it's about hope you know it's all our fans here you know how great of fans we have here in Baltimore Susan and it's about trying to to make sure that we stay true to who we are and how we have to do it when I first came here it's just our fans don't they, they see through anything that's that's not sincere and just to keep plotting towards the end game and not uh, take the quick fix ways around and if we stay true to what you know what we have to do and what we said we're going to do we'll be fine thanks so much for joining us on A's plus buck show Walter thank you it's that time in the podcast for Shea plus we welcome in John Shea the San Francisco Chronicles national baseball writer john uh the a's as we are talking right now are just one game back behind the yankees for the top wild card spot the a's are playing very well the yankees seem like they're teetering a little bit although i believe they're about to get gregorius back what's your take on the a's situation here coming down the stretch in the this last you know just over two weeks it is really unbelievable i've never I, I, I just don't remember any team that I've ever seen or read about that has been this thin in the rotation and has been this good in the second half of a season and just is coasting into the postseason and making the Astros worried, making the Yankees panic. I mean, at the All-Star game, I was around a bunch of writers who kept asking questions about how this could be the first year where two teams – are going to you know simultaneously win 110, 115 games. I mean, the Red Sox and Yankees were, were on that kind of streak together. And now the Yankees might not even, you know, obviously they're not challenging uh, the Red Sox for the division, but now they might not even be the first wild card. And, yeah. and uh, you know, the Bronx is uh, chaotic, chaotic now with, with – uh, with, with the injuries and with the poor play, they're not hitting when they were in town. That's what they were talking about. Uh, 
and Judge has missed, you know, what, 40-some games. And they're really not the same team we saw in the first half. And, well, either are the A's. But yeah. it, it's just amazing how they can do so much with so little in that rotation. Yeah. Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, the kind of the difference between the A's and, and the Yankees at this point. A, a reader mentioned to me today, do you remember there was a time in June, might have even been around... I can't remember exactly, but the A's and the Giants had the same record. Uh, they were right at both right around mm. 500. Uh, and since then, it was that was just before the A's took off, uh, and they they went in completely opposite directions, which uh, is really is really amazing. I think the A's in the third inning in the second game in Baltimore here um, scored more runs than I think the Giants have in the last five or six games. Just in the one inning. Well, yeah, the, the the Giants have lost eleven in a row as we speak, and in five of those losses, they didn't even score two runs. Extreme. And in seven of those eleven games, uh, actually, I take that back. In ten of those eleven games, they didn't score more than three. Jeez. So it, it's you know the A's score three in their sleep, and it, it's it's just. Uh, it's just a different look because it seems whenever the A's were good in recent years, the Giants were good, right? Yeah. Even going back to the early 2000s, when yeah. the A's were good, the Giants were good at the same time. It's the first time I remember where the Giants are horrible and the A's are wonderful. And it's it's, it's just a totally different vibe in the Bay Area. I mean, it doesn't reflect in attendance. I mean, the Giants aren't drawing 40. They're announcing somewhere in the 30s, you know, high 30s, mid 30s. But uh, obviously the no-shows would... You know, the, both both sides of the bay count uh, paid attendance in, in their announcements of the uh, the crowd counts. But um, who who knows? Maybe in this final homestand coming up, uh, the, the A's will draw a little bit more. And of course, they're going to draw in the postseason, right? Yeah. And if they have a home game in the postseason, that is. But suddenly, it's it's uh, the A's are putting so much pressure on the Yankees. They could actually host that game. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Don't they have to finish ahead of the Yankees to actually win? The number one spot in the walk because the, the because of the tiebreaker. I believe so. I, I, I uh, have not checked that all out quite as thoroughly as I, I probably should have. So, but, so the, know, yeah, the, the the teams have split their six games, right. but then it goes to best record within the division, and within the Yankees the are much better. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty fascinating stuff, and one team is definitely playing better than the other, and the Yankees don't have a real easy road of it the last two weeks. You know, they've got to play teams they have not fared well against including tampa bay uh the a's with the exception of playing tampa bay over the week the coming weekend uh and the seattle series you know it's they've played pretty well against anaheim they've got them twice so uh they've got the twins coming in they've they've played the twins well so uh, the the a's probably have the, a little bit easier schedule now of course they do have another starting pitcher dealing with an injury, as I, I reported in the Chronicle. Trevor Cahill's dealing with a rhomboid muscle strain. That's uh, in the back, sort of the upper back. Um, you know, it's a, it's a pitching muscle. Uh, it looks like he will probably miss his next start. Now, that start was going to be at Tampa. Um, I, I speculated briefly, and I don't know this to be true, but yeah, there's a possibility if he responds to treatment, Maybe he comes back and pitches that first game back at the Coliseum, and then he could make two more home mm. starts, which that's where you want him. Trevor Cahill missing a road start is 
probably not necessarily <laughs> the worst idea at this point because his splits are so extreme. I can't remember ever seeing a pitcher with uh, with splits as extreme as his. You know, under two and and uh, seven essentially are the are the splits for him. Yeah, and that's why when when I was when I was thinking about this playoff rotation, you know, they got to map it out so you won't even see Trevor Cahill in in the Bronx and in the wild card game in the first two games in Boston if they get that far. But you're right, one and a half ERA uh, at home and over seven uh, on the road, and crazy. It, it it is crazy. And and I think you're also speculating that uh, Hendricks might start uh, if he doesn't, right? Uh, yeah, I think that's, you know, that just seems to be there when they need to fill in the spots when, with both Benaya and Anderson out. Obviously, Anderson yeah. is coming back tomorrow, but that's what they've been doing for, for the last, uh, well, since it started that last homestand every time one of those. So if we don't, if we don't, if we don't know who's starting Hendricks, you're the guy. I mean, he's, right. I think he, I think he started four times in September. That's right. And, and it's September, what, 13th, 12th? So uh, it's uh, the, the the record, the A's franchise record for September starts, you know, is is eight by Catfish Hunter in 1973. And he's already got four and we're not even to mid month. But I don't think he's going to catch uh, Catfish's innings Probably total no. for that September. Yeah, didn't I mean, he have a 10 inning, inning game? In that, he had a 10 inning complete game. And uh, he threw fifty-two and two-thirds innings in September of seventy-three. So he might, he might, uh, he might get nine starts this month, and Liam, nine but uh, <laughs> and nine innings. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that you know that's starting to go a little bit better. Uh, Daniel Mingdon mm-hmm. clearly seems like he's gotten kind of the hang of coming in the uh, as the second guy. Um, I was asking him if if there's like a preferred term. You know, Bob Melvin has decided he likes opener for the reliever who starts a game. Um, and I, I th- kind of think there should be a, uh, you know, a fun little tag for for the second guy in. And Mengden told me that he and Chris Bassett have been calling him the the bridge guy, which is, you know, that's not bad. It, it seems like there should, should be maybe something snazzy or punny or so. Uh, so I'm working on it. I'm working on it. But, but he's going with bridge guy. I, I think that's fine for now. But yeah, he he looks, he's looked great. You know, five innings with without allowing a hit against it it's baltimore so yeah a little bit of an asterisk there that's there is bad a team i've got to tell you as i've seen in years i thought the white Sox looked terrible when the a's played them this year but baltimore looks mm. even worse uh and one of the orioles writers was telling me the white Sox are the next team in to baltimore so that's uh, perfect oof, that's going to be an ugly one but well, how about uh, this you you uh there's a starter there's an opener there's a closer yeah what about a bridger bridger yeah bridger but uh, it, yeah, you're right. With with Mengden, do you remember how the infancy, the the genesis, the beginning of all this? It, it just seemed like nonsense. It's, it was just nine innings of chaos. No reliever knew what he was doing. Uh, I mean, even Melvin was wondering what, when do I warm him up? When do I bring him in? When do I not bring him in? And and Hendricks kind of. Uh, pitched poorly in that second inning, put a couple of base runners on to begin, and he hasn't pitched the second inning since. But, you know, Megden got up three times, and, you know, and then finally in the second game, he only got up once because he knew exactly when he was coming in. It wasn't one or two innings for for the opener. It was in one innings, one inning period. So uh, Megden has really come around on this. You know, and early on I think it was somewhat – um, confusing for everyone in the clubhouse, yeah. including the catcher who 
who uh, Luke Roy I spoke with, and he used the word inefficient. You know, it, it's inefficient the the way we do this. But uh, you know, that was early on, and now they've tasted some success with this. And it, you know, it's it's, it's a precursor. It's a it's a practice run for October because they just don't have the horses to to use a three or four man rotation deep into games like traditional teams might do. So they're practicing to get it perfect now because we're going to see it in October. If they play one game, if they play a best of five in Boston, you're going to see it at least once, maybe twice. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, it's, uh, I really like the way you explained it in your column this week when you were looking at who, who might be a potential wild card starter. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, this is probably why they're doing this now. See how it works and, and line it up if that's what they want to do and you you laid it all out about who might be the best guys potentially to pitch in the Bronx and there was kind of slim pickings which is one reason I, I think you thought maybe they might go for the, go for this um, it, you know some of it's going to depend on where they are in the rotation some of it's going to depend on matchups some of it's of course going to mm-hmm. come down to who's pitching best at the time but it's you cannot discount the possibility that maybe this is the way that they would go Yes, and it's it's just easy to look up the uh, career numbers for these starting pitchers the A's have. And at Yankee Stadium, nobody's really any good. Um, you know, I was thinking Fires could be the guy, but, uh, you know, he's given up four home runs and ten career innings in the Bronx. And, uh, you know, you look at the next guy, Jackson, you know, he's given up uh, four home runs and 13 innings. Um, you know, one guy has a 7 ERA there, another guy has a 6 ERA there, and Anderson has pitched five times and is 0-3. And, um, you know, Cahill, you don't even want to start there because he's so much better at home. <laughs> but 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 so imagine that. Imagine the first A's playoff game in years, and they might not have a traditional starter who's pitching in the game. They might just run a whole bunch of relievers through the nine innings. And one of the reasons is because they will have two days off after the regular season. And they can rest these guys. So they're going to be off Monday. They're going to be off Tuesday. The wild card game is Wednesday. If they win that, they're off Thursday. Game one in Boston on Friday. And then game two, Saturday, and off travel day, Wednesday. And, and then uh, back in Oakland for two games. But the postseason, unlike the regular season, is kind of built for this you know, bullpenning process because the relievers can rest a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, Blake Trinan can pitch every game. Yeah. You know, he can pitch two, rest, pitch two, rest, pitch one. Yeah. And he could go maybe two innings. It could be like Mo Rivera with the, with the way Joe Torre used him in the postseason for so many years. Uh, let him go two innings. And that could be said for any number of these relievers. If they're hot, maybe you go with the hot hand for two innings instead of one, 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 one. And, of course, uh, you know, if they do get past the Yankees, they won't have to go far because game one against Boston and Boston would host the uh, winner of the wild card game would be at Fenway. And um, and then you have, you know, a whole new set of options because, well, you have two games there. And, uh, you know, who knows if Brett Anderson is is going to be in top form by then, but they don't hit lefties as well as they hit righties so that's one option but maybe one of those games will be a, a, a bullpen game because Mangdon uh, has had two really good starts against the Red Sox this year one in Boston one in Oakland each time he's going six plus innings and giving up one earned run so he could be a guy who if he doesn't start 
He could be, you know, second inning, third inning, fourth inning, fifth inning, yeah. and then hand it over to the bullpen. So th- there's th- there's a reason for all this madness, and, and maybe they were looking ahead because when they started doing this, they were way well behind the Yankees. They weren't one game back like they are now as we speak. They were several games back, so they were thinking, okay, if we get in, it'll be in New York, and maybe we do the whole bullpen thing. Well, if it's in Oakland, maybe it's a different story. Maybe they do use a starter. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I'm, I'm going to be, uh, it's just whatever happens, it's going to be so unique. If the A's have as their first playoff game, Liam Hendricks starting after <laughs> being DFA just you know two months ago, oh. just be sure. But you know anybody, it's going to be a great story. If it's Edwin Jackson, if it's Mike Fires, like mm-hmm. none oh. of these people were on anybody's radar uh, as potential <laughs> playoff starters for the A's in 2018. So. Uh, the whole story is just incredible. Now, the real story of the whole season, as I mentioned in a story I wrote earlier last week, was uh, the A's pitching injury. I mean, that's what's really made everything all the more uh, improbable. Uh, and Sean Manaya, we learned this week, is not only going to be out for the rest of the season after arthroscopic shoulder surgery, he could miss all of 2019, which is such a shame. You know, he's such a good talent. He's such a good guy. Uh, you, you know he's going to do everything he can. He's, he's a hard worker to get back soon. Uh, shoulder surgeries are weird, though, John. I mean, you know that. Um, it's not the, the sort of, everyone always thinks, oh, elbow, UCL uh, repair, that's easy. Everybody comes back from that. It's about 80% or a little bit more success rate. Shoulders are a little over 50% success rate, and guys don't always necessarily come back as, as effective as they were. There's a lot going on in shoulders. My understanding with Mania is the A's don't actually even know what the surgery will be. Uh, until the doctors get in there and see what's going on, they don't know exactly what's going to be fixed, what might not need to be fixed. So the year being out of year is a guess. It's possible they get in there and it's something relatively minor. You know, that of course, that's the hope. And then it, maybe it's a little less than a year. Um, but, you know, it, they could go in there and, and wind up having to fix maybe multiple structures. So it's just a, it's such a shame. You know, the guy throws a one of the best starts we've seen in Oakland in the the last 20 years with that no-hitter against the best team in baseball in Boston mm-hmm. in April uh, and then his his season comes to an end like this and and he'll miss the postseason it's it's just too bad and he was the undisputed ace he was the guy who could have pitched game one in Fenway if he didn't pitch the the the, the one and done game in, yeah, with that, in New York with, maybe they maybe yeah, they say no hitter sure yeah 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 and you know it, it is sad. I remember uh, speaking with him early in the season when they announced uh, that the uh, you know the A's and was it Seattle's they're, they're going to play in Japan next yeah. season to open the year. Yeah, two games is it? And he was doing so well. It was like uh, nobody else on this team is, is is pitching even close to Manaya. And, and you're thinking, well, he's what, is, is he going to get the first game or second game in Japan next year? Mm-hmm. So I went up to him and I I, I asked him about it. He just lit up and. Uh, yeah, I would love that. He has a brother stationed in Japan in the military. Mm. He hasn't seen me pitch in pro ball, and, and oh. it was like a dream come true that the A's were starting in Japan next year. But oh, now, no. none of that's going to happen. John. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, and it's. I, I mean, when you reported that, and I said next season too, yeah. I had to read it two or three times. I said, "How could that be? A shoulder surgery?" Yeah. I mean, 
You you it's hope you always hear when you th- hear arthroscopic, you think, oh well, it's not going to be quite as yeah. significant as you know a full uh, invasive surgery. But uh, yeah, shoulders shoulders are just you never want to hear shoulder injury. You never want to hear shoulder surgery for sure. If you're a baseball player, usually they try everything possible to avoid it. That's why. You know, the A's gave him two weeks to kind of see if maybe things calmed down, if he could maybe start trying to strengthen it on his own. Usually that's kind of the first thing you do with a shoulder and even elbows now. Uh, There's no reason not to. A lot of the times, sometimes something looks weird on an MRI and it goes away after you give it a couple of weeks of rest, but um, it just wasn't getting better. And he'd had a little bit of an issue in the same area last year at the end of the season, if you'll recall, and the A's thought, you know, keeps cropping up let's just get it taken care of so uh we all wish on the best my goodness um what a really great season he had and i I know he's disappointed uh that he can't finish it up but he's one of the main reasons the a's are in the position that they're in for sure and without him the a's are doing historic stuff i mean with 200 home runs and um their defense their bullpen and um you know the the power that they have, and and Chapman is coming around as an MVP candidate. And Davis going deep uh, every few games here, and the defense is just uh, extremely better than last year. And it, it just seems like everything's working for them except the rotation. But that doesn't matter because yeah, everything is working so well that when they score ten runs in an inning and send fifteen guys to the plate, it doesn't matter who's pitching. Yeah, and you know what? They've they've dealt with the pitching injuries all year long, and they just kind of keep breezing past it, no problem. So, uh, you know, this is this is their mo. They have guys go down, and everybody else just kind of picks up the load and they carry on. Uh, it's funny. It's I have covered many other A's teams that I thought were heading into the playoffs were better teams. Certainly, you know, better, more well-rounded teams because they all of them had pretty good starting rotations. But this team is like the most um, resilient of the A's teams that I can remember and um, the calmest. You know, they, they they faced so much adversity this year and it just never seems to bother them. They score late. doesn't matter if they're down or if they're up. Uh, and the bullpen is so tremendous. I actually think that this is a, an A's team that might be better suited for a deeper postseason run than, than some of the other teams that they've had, certainly of the recent vintage and they don't know any better. They don't know the history. They don't know those years in the early 2000s when every year they went to the fifth game of the division series before bowing out, whether it was Detroit or or, uh, or New York or Boston, whatever it was. And it just seems year after year after year, uh, the same story. They just couldn't. And then that silly wild card game in Kansas City a few years back in 14. And, you know, Jed Lowry is the only guy around from that 14 mm-hmm. team. Uh, who suits up as a player these days. So it's, it's, it's really amazing. I mean, you look around the clubhouse and it's like, wait, this is like a, it's like spring training. You have 40 guys and you don't recognize half of them. And, and then they call up uh, Ramon Laureano, who, who's never been heard of anywhere. And he has, he's hitting two home runs a game and he's diving all over the place. And meanwhile, I, I cross the bay and cover the giants, you know, with my split coverage and they haven't, you know, uh, developed an outfielder who, who was an all-star since Chili Davis. They haven't developed a, an outfielder who was like an everyday player since Marvin Bernard, who was a 50th round pick. They just don't 
develop outfielders very well. Uh, Steven Duggar is an exception this year. He might be the real deal in center field, but but uh, it, it's just unbelievable. Anybody the A's call call up, they, the guy's spectacular. Yeah. And and that's the kind of year when you look back and say, well, that was magical. That yeah. doesn't happen too often. Yeah, you're Everybody's right. kind of putting a career year together at the same time uh, across the Bay. Like nobody's putting a career year together except a couple of a few rookies. But in Oakland, it seems everybody and, you know, Olsen and Chapman are only in their second uh, year, really. Um, yeah, first, but, first you know, Lowry, season. career year, Davis, uh, another career year. Uh, and and Lucroy's been fabulous with this uh, put-together pitching staff. And Marcus Simeon, a career year. And uh, Piscotti, maybe. Who knows, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, more home runs than any other year, a career year. Yeah. So it, you go around the horn, and, and there are guys who have – been playing better than they've ever played yeah, no and doubt. when that happens you that that's the recipe for a, a long postseason yeah i agree i think they're actually pretty well set up i, I mean I'm, I'm just astonished i'm saying this because i thought going into the season that they would be you know doing pretty well to finish maybe a little bit above 500 uh, here they are 32 games over 500 32 games over 500 for the first 32. time in 15 years uh and uh yeah, I think that they, even without essentially a starting rotation, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think they actually set up pretty well. So it's going to be an interesting final two weeks. John Shea, I know we'll, we will have you on to talk about all of this much more, and I, I'm sure you will be around a lot, and certainly during the postseason. And maybe we can finally do that uh, uh, Yumi and Dave Feldman to, to finish up the season, perhaps. That would be a, a really uh, good way to do a final Shea Plus Feldy's Follies. Thanks as always for joining us, and we will talk to you soon. You bet. Thanks, Susan. Ace Plus is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. I'd love it if you'd rate, review, and subscribe to Ace Plus wherever you get your podcasts. This show is produced by King Kaufman and Fernando Diaz. For more A's coverage, follow me on Twitter at Susan Slusser and get all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com. Mm-hmm.